Good evening, my name is Jonathan and our reader is Kendall tonight and our topic is serving the Lord daily. Last week we talked about daily and yearly service and that kind of thing. I wanted to focus some more on daily because we sort of light on that last week. And specifically this idea of serving the Lord, uh, how do you serve the Lord? You know, how, how do you know what the Lord wants? How do you serve the Lord? And it's interesting how much the Bible emphasizes the idea of daily service, as we'll say, the th things that you do every single day to serve the Lord, even when you may feel that He's absent, you know, the things that we can do every day to serve the Lord. So that's what we'll be talking about this evening. I invite you to join us, and let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you for being present among us this evening, Lord. Thank you for your word. We seek information from the pages of your word about how to serve you each and every day. Amen. Amen. Very nice to be with you all, friends, and sending love to those of you out there online, getting the audio on the phone. Very nice to be with you and thinking about serving the Lord daily. I want to start with a passage in Luke. Let's go to Luke, the third gospel in the New Testament. In chapter 1, chapter 1 is 80 verses long, and I want to go to the, toward the end of it and start at verse 68. This is uh, Zacharias, who's praising the Lord at the time that, that John was uh, baptized. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I like this statement here. We're just about halfway through. But I like this statement very much because... Um, it's sort of a little, I, I love these things that are little summaries of the entire program in one little view, you know. So this is the whole of the Lord's purpose in coming into the world in one little view. He's coming to visit and redeem His people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. This is a fulfillment of what He spoke by the prophets. It's got that element in there. And what is it all about? It's about being saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Go on to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, mm. the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So this goes all the way back into Genesis, this, this from the beginning. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, mm. in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. There it is. So those last two verses, this is what we are being granted. This is what the fulfillment of the Lord's coming into this world is for is to grant us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him might serve the Lord without fear that's the end game to, to be able to be in a situation to serve him and how would we do that we do that in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life we had talked a few weeks ago about the heaven project 
and the idea that our lives here just continue more or less seamlessly into the spiritual world and go on to eternity. So when it says all the days of our life, it doesn't just mean the days of our physical lives, but all the days of eternity that we can serve the Lord all, all those days being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. It's a great little definition of salvation. Salvation is to be saved from our enemies so that we can serve the Lord without fear and so that we can serve Him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. So that's sort of a, a starting place of what we're talking about here. Um, let me talk a little bit about this. That the um, Hell really likes immediacy. It wants to hook. It's like a, you know, a used car salesman or something. So, well, if you buy right now, you know, uh, you'll get this deal or something. It, it, it's always something you can get right now, or you've got some burning desire for something that you know you have to satisfy right now. You know, uh, very much of it is about the impulse and the moment and throw aside any thought about the consequences and this sort of thing. And heaven is playing a long game. It's patient. It's about gradual building. Uh, forgive this analogy from like six months or the wrong time of the year, but I think about Thanksgiving and when you baste a turkey, you know, I mean, you could just throw it in the oven, uh, but some people baste it and then you baste it again then you baste it again. Or these people who make like soy sauce and stuff where it's just like they get steeped in, you know, it's again and again. It's an ongoing process. And uh, what the Lord wants to do is to install these things in us. Uh, and each one is a little, you know, most of what you based on there evaporates or it doesn't do much or it doesn't penetrate very far. But then the next one goes in, goes a little farther until, as Swedenborg says, we get saturated uh, as a result of constant practice. Uh, that's what the Lord wants to develop. So it's kind of the opposite of the quick fix, this idea of serving in a daily way, all the days of our life. That's a, now, to our lower selves, we think, well, you know, I mean, I've, I've thought this in my own life. I'm ashamed to admit, you know, can I get like weekends off? or something, you know, like I'll serve my neighbor Monday to Friday, but I mean, my weekends should be my own, right? I can just let my hair down, do what I want. Um, that's not what the Lord is, is talking about. Uh, and he doesn't wish to present it as an onerous thing. It's about being delivered from the hand of our enemies. You know, you're not all the way delivered from the hand of your enemies if you spend every Saturday and Sunday with your enemies, you know. Uh, it, it should be, you know, uh, no, to serve the Lord all the days of our life. And how you serve the Lord basically uh, must have to do with doing His will. Like if you picture yourself being a servant, uh, you know, having some kind of master or a boss or someone that you serve in this world, um, don't you kind of study what that person's interests and moods are and, and you know, what, uh, like, even when they're not around, you could say, well, I know they don't, you know, I'm not sure how they would react to this, but I know they don't, they don't go for that, you know, so we better not do that, or whatever it is. So we're trying to figure out what the Lord's will is 
and how to serve that, how to do His will. And of course, the Word fits into this because the Word, the Bible, is a statement of the Lord's will. It gives us some idea, even though it's cloaked in this uh, correspondential language that can be difficult to read sometimes. So those are just some thoughts to launch us in here. Let's go to the Old Testament and start reading some passages just for fun. It's just so fun. Uh, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of Moses. I want to go to chapter 4. These might seem kind of random. I've tried to sort them roughly into the or biblical order, but they, they all have something to do with uh, serving the Lord. And note how often it has to do with not doing evil or stopping doing things, you know, like, like this seems to be part of it. Let's look at uh, chapter 4 in Deuteronomy, uh, verse 10. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Yes, so this is about the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are an important way to serve the Lord. And you notice that it emphasizes that all the days that you live on the earth, you know, this is an important way to live, to keep these things. This is not... What fascinates me is that some aspects, some pockets of Christianity got so swept up in this idea of a quick fix, in the idea that baptism or being saved, you know, an altar call or something, like there's a quick fix, you know, and that, and that does it. What I see in here is about all the days of your life, you know, how you live every day. Uh, that's, that's uh, salvation has something to do with that uh, ongoing thing. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a really beautiful chapter there. Um... Let's pick up at verse 1. This is again about, about the law. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Yes, so this is uh, Moses passing on the words of the Lord to the children of Israel. That you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. Yes, there it is. All the days. So you, your son, your son's son, all the days of your life, and... And that your days may be prolonged. Yeah, so that there, there is this idea, it's a kind of a refrain in the Old Testament, that if you live by this, you will have more days. You know, And I think what this is pointing to really is, is our life in heaven, uh, that if we live this day, we'll, we'll be in a, a spiritual life that continues after death. Um, go on. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply, multiply greatly, mm. as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Mm. And then listen to this. This is what comes right after that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay, well, that would be, I'm not sure how to do that, but it has something to do with the commandments, obviously, 
And uh, so that, that would be something that we'd be trying to achieve in this daily service is to love the Lord. And again, that word all, you know, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Go on. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Yeah, be in your heart. Not just, I don't know, not just on the wall somewhere or something, but you really take it to heart. Go on. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write, on, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's right, and uh, it's just wonderful stuff, but we'll stop there. The, um, uh, in other words, it's this immersion in these words of the Lord and the commandments of the Lord. There's certainly something about serving the Lord has to do with His commandments being His will, an expression of His will. And so as we follow those, that's how we can love the Lord. Uh, so chapter 12 in Deuteronomy... Just a little different, uh, you know, twist on the same theme. Just that first verse. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. Yeah, that's right. So again, this emphasis of following certain statutes and judgments every single day. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 Um, this is emphasizing, we talked last time about the Passover, and uh, it talks about remembering how you were brought forth out of Egypt, the children of Israel. And look at verse 3 there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. Mm. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. Yes, remembering all the days of your life. So that's an interesting thing. You know, it's sort of like if you manage to escape from evil, reflect on that. You know, think about that uh, because that, that's an important moment. You know, remembering what the Lord did for us is, is an important aspect here. Uh, chapter 17. This is about the uh, book of the law, and uh, look at verse 18. This is about when, you have a, when the children of Israel have a king, this is how the king should behave. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. Mm, so interesting, huh? And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Okay. I rest my case. You read the word, read the book of the law, all the days. You know, that's supposed to be a daily practice of, of reading the word, as many people know. Go on. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. There it is again, the idea of 
uh, prolonging his days, and also the idea of multiple generations, and not turning aside from the commandment, and also very important that you, you, know, you observe them, that, that you do, don't just read it every day, do what it says. That, that's very important. And so you see what I mean? So many of these passages talk about all the days of your life. You know, that, that this is there's a daily practice that it's talking about here. And look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Oh, this is great. Uh, so he's been talking about blessings if you do good and curses if you do evil. And look at verse 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, mm. that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? The Lord is your life. He is the length of your days. You know, that, that's, that's how you're going to make it. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Yes, and so I'm reading that, as Swedenborg does, to mean heaven. You know, that's the land. Uh, so look at the emphasis there that if you do this, this will develop that love of God in you. Right? Isn't that what it suggested? You, you choose life so that you may love the Lord your God and obey his voice and cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. That's beautiful, beautiful prose there. Um, in Joshua chapter 1, which is the next, isn't it? Next book to your right. Yep. Chapter 1 there. Uh, the Lord, Moses has died. And the Lord is talking to Joshua, who's taking over the leadership of the children of Israel as they go into the land. And let's just read verse 5 in chapter 1. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Mm, that's right. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. So the Lord will give this, this protection to him, and it's this kind of blanket thing, and it's an interesting little detail that the name Joshua is the same as the name Jesus. Like he's obviously a figure for for Jesus. Moses is like John the Baptist with the with the law and the baptism and so on, and Jesus is like Joshua leading the people into the land. And uh, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Uh, okay, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is about the dedication. This is his mother. Uh, this is about the prophet Samuel uh, before he's born that um, his mother makes a promise about him. Verse 11 in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Yeah, and she does, even when he's young, she, she sends him off to the temple just all the days of his life. He's going to be dedicated to the service of the Lord. So that's a very individual sort of image there of the service of the Lord. 
Um, oh, let's look at 1 Kings. So turn to the right. You go through 2 Samuel, you'll get to 1 Kings. I want to go to chapter 15. Uh, now, there's a nice little summary. I don't know if you know about King David. We've talked about him sometimes in Bible study. Uh, he did a lot of good things. He was really, really wonderful when he was younger. He did a few bad things, you know, killed a guy, took his wife, got her pregnant, you know, this guy. He did a few little bad things in there, but mostly he was okay. So look at verse 5 here, this, this wonderful little summary. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Yeah, right. So uh, there, there can be a, a footnote, an asterisk or something. You know, he, he never swerved from serving the Lord, except for that one little bad thing <laughs> that he did at that one point. Yes, but all, isn't it interesting that it has it kind of both ways, that he, he did not turn aside from anything that was com commanded him all the days of his life, except for that, that one, one little slip. Okay, um, Look at 2 Chronicles, so go through 2 Kings and you get to 1 Chronicles, get to 2 Chronicles. These are historical works. I want to go to chapter 34 in here. This is about King Josiah who was a good king and he rediscovered the book of the law that had been lost for quite a while. And just look at this last verse of that, verse 33 in 2 Chronicles 34. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. Mm, listen to that, you see? That, that's what serving the Lord, like getting rid of those things equals serving the Lord. You know, that, 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 that's part and parcel, the same thing. Go on. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Yes, as long as Josiah was king, all their days, everybody, you know, it was a daily practice of following the Lord. So I just thought that was nice, fit in well with what we're talking about. Turn to the right and let's go to the book of Job, which comes up in a few little books there. Want to go to chapter 36. Um, some of these have more to do with service and so on. Um, Look at verses 10 to 12 there in Job 36, if you will. He also opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's his command. Turn from iniquity. You've got, got to turn away from that. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Mm, isn't that nice? Spend their days in prosperity, their years in pleasures, but there's always a but. But if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword, and they shall die without knowledge. Die without knowledge. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and so that suggests that the prosperity and the pleasures have, to do, have something to do with knowledge. Like on the one hand, you'll you know, know things, uh, and things will be good. Or, but if you don't obey, then you'll perish by the sword, which has to do with falsity, bad teaching, and they'll die without knowledge. Uh, so you can see how that fits in, the idea of the days there. Uh, let's go to the Psalms, shall we? Psalm 23. So beautiful. Let's just read that last verse, very well known, of Psalm 23. Psalm 23. 
surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, see, that's eternal life. It's not talking about our physical lives. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is not about being in the physical temple until death overtakes you. It's talking about, you know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's such a beautiful statement, isn't it? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. Uh, look at chapter 27, Psalm 27, verse 4. Another well-known phrase, isn't it? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. Yes, isn't that gorgeous? And so, that's all I'm asking, is to be permanently with the Lord every day to eternity. That's not too much to ask, is it? That's just one thing I'm looking for is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And these have to do with things having to do with love and compassion and truth. Uh, that's what the temple means and the beauty of the Lord. Uh, that those qualities, you know, that you would behold those things all the time. Um... Let's go to Proverbs. So turn to the right out of the Psalms. Am I doing this right? Oh, let's go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Starting at verse 27. This doesn't mention days in specific. Okay, 27. Yeah. Depart from evil and do good. And dwell forevermore. Now, that's the, even, that's the short version of the cliff notes of the abbreviated abridgment. <laughs> uh, Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. That's right. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. Forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Forever. Not talking about a physical country in this world. That doesn't happen to anybody. It's talking about heaven that will dwell there forever. And you notice how that's very tightly linked with departing from evil and doing good. You know, it's, it's really kind of basic biblical teaching. Uh, oh, shall we go to Jeremiah? Let's go through Proverbs. and Well, no, I, there's one thing I wanted to see in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter, so to the right of Psalms, you get to Proverbs. I want to go to Proverbs 31. Do I not? 31. Oh, this is about the virtuous woman, the good, good woman. Look at just those first three um, verses, like 10, 11, and 12, I mean. Verses 10, 11, and 12 in um, Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. All the days of her life. You know, she's, talking about daily practice. You know, it's, it's just, it's a beautiful teaching. And so, again, you know, the sense of what goodness is, is it has to do with this. It's not sort of like that you sort of really, you know, mustered, got, got everything all together and, and you did one spectacular act of, you know, benefiting the human race and then 
fell down in exhaustion and went back to your evil life or something. It's about a daily practice of being good to others. Uh, okay, let's turn to the right and go through Isaiah and get to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7. The Lord is good. Okay. Oh, boy. Um, verse, oh, we've got to read like from verse 3, I think. Mm. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Always the change of behavior equals you get to live here. Right. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now that's interesting because we've had some other passages about living in the house of the Lord and the temple and so on. And yet here it's a, don't take me to mean the physical temple or, or trust in that. Here's what you got to do. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, mm. then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Forever and ever. It's not talking about our physical lives. It's talking about heaven, that you get to live here forever and ever if you follow these things, the inner meaning of what those things are, of being good, good to others. Uh, and look at Jeremiah 25. It's almost word for word the same thing again. But 25 uh, verse 5. They said, Repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings. And dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. There it is again. Very clear. Repent, dwell in the land forever and ever. So, so that, that's uh, straightforward. Turn to the right. Let's do Ezekiel. Uh, go to chapter 37 in there. This is good. This is good. Ezekiel 37. Um, Verse 25, this is a prediction about the, about the future. You see in verse 24, it says, the, the people will have one shepherd, and they'll walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And then verse 25. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. That's talking about heaven. That's, that's not talking about this world. It's talking about when you're in the world, what we're, in the heaven, what we're talking about with the um, heaven project, that more and more, there's greater and greater increase, more and more generations coming in, and everybody lives there forever. And, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. That's a reference to the Lord, quite obviously, is it not? Um, Oh, I want to go back. There was one thing in the Psalms that I missed. I'm so sorry. Let's go back a little bit to the Psalms. I want to go to Psalm 84. Um, mm. Yeah, let's read verses 10 and 11 there. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Mm. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Yeah, so you get why we would read that, that uh, to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. And Swedenborg explains this as meaning that the, the doorkeeper would be to be in that outermost heaven. It's better to be in the outermost heaven, to be a connection uh, between this world and heaven, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Uh, for the Lord is a sun and a shield. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Um, all right, that's very beautiful. Uh, let's go to the New Testament now. Um, okay, let's go to the Gospel of Mark, actually, the second of the Gospels. Um, I want to go to Mark uh, chapter 12, because this reiterates some of the very things that we were reading in the Old Testament. Let's start at verse uh, 28 there, Mark 12, 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Yeah, and that's a good question because there were 613 commandments, and so which one is the most important? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Mm. And listen to the response. It's interesting. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. That's correct. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Yeah, so you see what that's saying is that you, you might have had the idea in the Old Testament times that to serve the Lord was to do the sacrifices and do the rituals, but here it's very clear that loving the Lord above everything else, with everything you've got, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's it. That's, that's better than all. So if you want to know how to serve the Lord daily, those are things to strive for. And what does Jesus answer in verse 34? So when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Mm. And after that, no one dared question him. Yes, he, it was a pretty good answer. So <laughs> you know, let's not uh, go down that route anymore. And... Um, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Um, and look at chapter 9 in Luke. Let's turn to the right and go to Luke chapter 9. And uh, this came to mind as well. In verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There it is. Daily practice. Whatever that cross is, that's something that we can take up every day. It's not a one-shot deal. It's something you take up daily and follow the Lord. So 
following the Lord, serving Him, uh, denying ourselves, taking up the cross daily, uh, following the Lord. These are things that we're supposed to practice. Of course, the Lord's Prayer talks about that give us this day our daily bread. In Luke, it's give us bread for the coming day. You know, every day, it says, every day. Um, uh, there's one, okay, let's, let's go to Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation at the back of your, to the right of your book. And I want to go to chapter 7 in there. Uh, let's pick up at verse 13 in there. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, mm. and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Such an arresting image. Uh, you know, obviously, like how do you make something white by washing it in blood? The blood means divine truth. It's often misunderstood to just mean the crucifixion or something, but it means divine truth. And washing your robes and making them white is about purifying your whole understanding of life by the word, you know, by the divine truth, the blood of the lamb, the divine truth that the Lord is the word. Uh, we, we've come out of this great tribulation and, uh, and our minds have been cleansed uh, by the message of the Lord's truth. And then what happens in verse 15? Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Yes, so they serve him day and night, not just daily, but day and night. Now, there's another mention of the temple. And yet we just read, no, don't say the temple, the temple, the temple. You know, that's not what it's about. It's about laying aside evil and living a good life. And so that temple has to do with this structure of, of truth that you live in um, when you're following these principles. And the Lord dwells among them, and the dwelling has to do with His love, that His love is there and is married to that truth. Um, now, there's one other element I want to throw in here. Might be a little, little disturbing, but um, there are all these parables. You see, you, you serve the Lord, so it's great that we have the Word. We have all these instructions and all that. But there are these parables about serving a master who is absent how do you serve and what does it mean that there are these parables about serving the lord when he's absent go back to matthew if you will and look at uh matthew 21 you got to admit it's kind of a i mean it is a bit of a situation isn't it because you wake up every day and you okay i'm serving the lord i never particularly hear from him don't know what he thinks or whatever you know some people feel closer than others but but it can be a situation to feel like, well, but where's the Lord? I'm sort of working away here, but I don't know where he is. And so it's interesting that he has all these parables. This is Jesus tells this parable, 21 verse 33. Let's start there. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Ah, so he leased it, and he, where did he go? Into a far country. He went to a far. Couldn't he just go like next door or somewhere <laughs> else in the country? He goes to a far country, and he leases it to these vine dressers. 
So he's not even there. He's gone, you know? He's way, way far. I can't reach him. Far, far away. Okay, go on. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Mm. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Mm. Now, he is telling this whole parable uh, to the Pharisees, isn't he? The chief priests and the elders, it says back in verse 23. And uh, it's very poignant story. They seem to be the vine dressers that he leased it to, like he's leased it to these people. You know, they're not the real boss. The real boss is far away, but they're in charge in the meantime. And yet every time he wants to collect fruit in the time of vintage, uh, obviously the people that he sends mean the prophets rising up early and sending them, as we read a few weeks ago. And uh, then finally the son, you know, obviously a reference to the divine human, to Jesus coming into the world. And they kill him thinking that they'll seize the inheritance. And so what is the Lord going to do when he comes and they say, well, he's going to miserably destroy those wicked men and give it to other people who will give him the fruit of it. you know. And then he says, very point blank in verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth its fruits. And in verse 45, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived that he was talking about them. Like it was, was quite clear that he was talking about them. So... Isn't it interesting that he describes ancient Judaism as a time of, his, of the Lord's absence? That he, he built this vineyard, but then he went to a far country, and he was very distant, uh, but he wants to come back again at the time of fruit. And so here's Jesus in this world, you know, and he says, this kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to others. But now listen to this. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Because he tells the same kind of stories about the end of the next church. You know, there's, Swedenborg has this idea of these great eras, these five churches. And you have the, the uh, ancient Israelites were one of these churches. And so Jesus was here at the end of that one. And he says he'd gone away to a far country. But he also says exactly the same thing about the end of Christianity. In chapter 24 of Matthew, the whole chapter is all very apocalyptic. It's all about what's going to happen uh, at the end of Christianity, version 1.0, as I call it. And uh, look at verse 42 there in Matthew 24. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So this is about the Lord's coming, about the second coming or something, at, you know, at the end of this Christianity, version 1.0. But know this. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. 
Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Huh, so the Son of Man has been away, but he's coming. Okay, go on. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Okay, this is about serving, isn't it? This is a faithful, wise servant who the Lord made ruler over his household to distribute food and so on. And what is the nature of that faithful, wise servant? Even though the Son of Man has been gone, what's he doing? Look at verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Yeah. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Okay, and here's how not to be. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. He's delayed, the absent master. The, serving the absent Lord, you know, the absent master. So if this evil servant says in his heart, oh, my master, he, you know, he's not coming. No time soon. And what does he begin to do? And begins to beat his fellow servants. Uh-oh. And to eat and drink with the drunkards. Uh-oh. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour that he, that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint his por- appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. So not not too harsh. Yeah. <laughs> there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Okay. And do you see when I read verse fifty there, it makes me think that the servant who started acting out, beating his fellow servants, getting drunk, all this kind of thing. He is taken by surprise by the Lord's return. Isn't that what it says? The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him in an hour that he's not aware of. So the other servant is ready. He's serving the Lord every day, even if the Lord seems absent. Serving him every day. He's ready. He's distributing the food. He's doing the thing he's supposed to be doing. It's the other one. Now, you know these things are written according to appearances. The Lord actually takes no pleasure. He doesn't cut anybody in two pieces, but it has to do with your inner self and your outer self and and so on. It it does have a meaning uh, with people who are not following the Lord. They're not serving the Lord. They think, oh, he's delayed. He's not coming. So here's another parable in chapter 25. Uh, Let's read the first few verses of this. It's very familiar. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Mm. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And what happens in verse 5? But while the bridegroom was delayed... What is he like absent? What's with him? He's delayed. He's like, what is the holdup? You know, he's somewhere else and he's delayed. What's going on? So what do they do? They all slumbered and slept. Yeah, and then you remember the story that at midnight there's a cry and they go out to meet him and some have their lamps and they're ready to go when the Lord comes because they have oil. In fact, when it says, look at what it says in verse 3, the foolish took lamps but no oil. But the wise took oil in the vessels with their lamps. The oil is the most important thing to the wise. The oil has to do with serving others, loving God, loving your neighbor, 
The oil is the most important thing. To the others, the lamp is the most important thing, and they don't even have oil. The lamp has to do with truth, so they've, they've been reading the book and all that kind of stuff, but they're not really doing anything. They're not serving anybody. They're not distributing the food and so on. You know, So it's all the same story, isn't it? This is what's going to happen at the end of Christianity version 1.0. It'll be like this. The Lord is going to come back. And, uh, and look at 25. There's another parable in verse 14. Parable of the talents. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. A far country? Man traveling to a far... He keeps going to this far country. So he goes to the far country. Go on. Who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Okay, so here's the servants. Got to do the right thing while the master's gone. This is challenging. And you know this. He gave five talents to one and two to another and one to one. And one made five more talents, another one made two more talents, and the other one just hid it. And then, look at verse 19. After a long time. A long time. <laughs> after a long time. The Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Yes, he did. Okay, so he came back, and then there's a good and faithful servant. You know, two of them are good and faithful servants, and the other one is a wicked a servant and slothful, it says in the old King James. What does it say in verse 26 in yours, dear reader? But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Lazy, okay. Lazy in the new King James, slothful in the old King James. And uh, so, you know, he came back and didn't find uh, what he was looking for. Um, I also want you to look briefly, if you will, go over to Luke. So turn to the right and go to Luke. Chapter 19, very similar parable, but a little bit different. Look at, uh, look at verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Oh, so he, this parable is to address the idea that the kingdom of God is coming bang any minute. So what does he say? Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country. A far country. He goes in, <laughs> a nobleman goes to a far country. All right. To receive for himself a kingdom uh, and to return. Interesting. So this nobleman is going somewhere far away to get a kingdom. Interesting. He's going to a kingdom and then he's going to come back. Okay, go on. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 uh, minas, minas, yes. minas, and said to them, do business till I come. Uh-oh, there's a nasty little detail in verse 14. But his citizens hated him Uh oh. and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Okay, there's a pretty obvious parable about the Lord. There's going to be a group coming. This is what's predicted in the Gospels, that this group is going to come that's actually going to hate the Lord and not want to serve Him. I, I don't want Him ruling over me. He's gone to get His kingdom. That's great, but I don't want Him run, ruling over me. And so then He came back in verse 15. And so it was that when He returned, having received the kingdom, He then commanded these servants to whom He had given the money to be called to, to, be called to Him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Yes, trading was supposed to be going on. Trading was supposed to be going on. Yep. Then came the first saying, 
Master, your mina has earned ten minas. Yes. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a in a very little, mm. have authority over ten cities. Ten cities. Okay. Ten cities. Go on. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. And then there's a similar thing where somebody just kept theirs in a napkin and didn't do anything with it. And he says similar things to him. And look at verse 27, which is a detail not in that other story. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Oh, okay. So, interesting story. So, the times of the Old Testament was a time when the Lord was going to be far away and then He was going to come back. But also, after New Testament times, He was going to go away to a far country and then he was going to come back and some people were going to say, I don't want him ruling over me. And, and, and there was something that people had to do. So the challenge is not just to serve the Lord daily, but to serve him when he seems absent. Now, Swedenborg is very clear on this point. This is because the Lord seems absent. He seems absent in a particular state. It's almost as if, see, the, the talents that they're given is like a certain ability of the mind that they have. If they use that and gain more, then the Lord comes back like they see the Lord. You know, it's almost like that's what brings him back is that they understand that the Lord is present when they gain more understanding uh, kind of thing. But this has a lot to do as well with the cusp of Christianity version 1.0 leading into version 2.0 that a, a big deal will be, you know, who has been serving the Lord every day faithfully, even if the Lord seemed absent or something, and who has been, ah, forget about the program, doesn't really matter, or, or whatever. That's an important point. So let me give you a little graphic here for those of you who are here in the room or getting a video. Uh, I just wrote down a list of things, and it could be multiplied, I'm sure. But these are sort of principles that I see in the word, ways to serve the Lord, it says. So one thing to do is to build our understanding. This is part of what it means where you're given five minas and then you're, or ten and, and you're supposed to do something with them and get more. You can tell it's two different parables because in that one it's ten and he gets another ten. Whereas in the other one it's five and he gets another five and two and another two. But build our understanding is something that we're supposed to do as if we were acting on our own. And one thing as a daily practice is to, is to read the word. Now that's Challenging thing to do, and you can read every day for your whole life and not really understand what's going on. But if we work on building our understanding, and another thing that Swedenborg mentions is to meditate on heaven. You know, think about the heaven project. Think about where we're going, what the purpose of this life is. Uh, didn't it say that in the rules of life, to read and meditate on the Word of God daily, to, to build our understanding. That's a very important piece. We certainly saw a lot tonight about repentance, you know, laying things aside, so I summarize this very briefly here. It's just examine ourselves. So having read the word, we, we see what, you know, as we learn more and more from the word about what evil is, what good is, we examine ourselves and see what's evil in ourselves, pray for strength, and stop doing whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Fill your issue in here. Uh, so, uh, so building our understanding by reading the word and meditating on heaven, 
repentance by examining ourselves, praying for strength and changing our behaviors. And thirdly, build our heart. Uh, practice what we know. Uh, do good and useful things for others constantly. So important that you practice. What gains you, the people who invested it, Swedenborg says very clearly, are the people who practiced what they learned. Huge diff you know, the ones who don't do anything is the ones who just stayed with the knowledge, but they didn't develop it. You know, they, they didn't develop it. And this is akin, because of the lack of repentance, this is akin to that servant, the evil servant who's beating other people and getting drunk and so on, which is evil and falsity, uh, you know, that takes over us if we're not practicing that repentance, that it has everything to do with, so it's our internal state, it's also how we're treating other people. So it's very important that we practice what we know, and a bottom line is doing good and useful things for others all the time, a daily, all the days of our lives, serving the Lord, all the days of our lives. And interestingly, uh, in that scripture that we read at the beginning, let's go back there again. Luke chapter 1 says, serving him without fear. Well, I think it's both without fear of hell, you know, that the Lord has saved us and we serve him without fear, but also without fear of the Lord. There's this sense in these parables of the absence, like the Lord feels so far away. He's gone to another country and everything. Uh, Another meaning of the Lord going to that far country that he went to get a kingdom is our lives in this world. While we're living in this world, the Lord does seem a little more abstract, possibly a little more theoretical. For Everybody's in different states and we're in different states all day long. But you can live a lot of your life feeling like, well, the Lord didn't walk in and tell me to do this or get out of bed or something. You know, like, what do I do? I'm just... You know, the, the Lord's away in a far country and I'm just living here trying to practice it without really necessarily feeling that he's right at my elbow. Now, the more you live by it, you do get develop that sense that he's right there. Uh, but it says in Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So one meaning of those parables is that the time where we pass on is where the, the, the master comes back. And then he says, okay, how, how did you do kind of thing, you know. And that's just a question of our perception that we feel the Lord's presence, we experience His presence in a different way after we die than we do when we're in this world. So that's our own little version of the Lord's coming, you know, is when we die and then we're in the presence of the Lord. And, um, and He says, how did you do with the, with the stuff I gave you, you know? And we hope that we have a, a good story about serving Him. These are daily practices that, that we can do. It's not that you have to spend all day examining yourself. That's something you can do once or twice a year to go through an in-depth self-examination. Once you've done that, though, there's kind of a daily maintenance program where the issues that you're aware of in yourself, you're monitoring those all the time. You know, I mean, you don't want that to creep in. You don't want to wait six months or something uh, where you keep watching yourself and shooting up a little prayer not to fall in that same pit and so on. And using the Ten Commandments uh, which you learn from the Word as, as your guide in here, you know, following those commandments all the days of our life. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, and uh, let's just start at verse 74 there and read that first bit that we did tonight again. 
to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And doesn't that before him take on a different feeling after you've read all those absent master parables? Uh, that it will be in, in holiness and righteousness before the Lord, you know, a sense of the Lord's presence, being in his presence, being able to be in his presence all the days of our life. Uh, the Lord wants to give us the kingdom forever and ever to you and your children and your children's children forever and ever to inherit that, that land of heaven. That's, the Lord, uh, that's what the Lord wants to give us. So uh, hopefully there are some kind of practical lessons in there about ways to, to serve the Lord. So what we've been talking tonight is about ways, and we ponder this. You know, when you're pondering it, you might feel like the Lord is absent, but He's really with us when we're pondering this, thinking about reading the Word. There are so many principles in the Word about how to treat others and so on. This is just a simple kind of list, but there's a lot of wisdom in there. And I love, I've grown to love the idea of the daily progress. Don't they say in some of these 12-step programs, progress, not perfection, that, that it's all about the incremental growth. This is how you get away from hell, bit by bit by bit by bit, over the course of a lifetime and on into eternity, developing, getting stronger and stronger in that, uh, stronger and stronger in the Lord. That's what creates that increase of His government and peace. Uh, that's that daily bread. I want to close with a thought about what Swedenborg uh, says about the uh, daily bread in the prayer. That he says, give us this day our daily bread uh, actually means give us good. Give us love. Give us good things every second to eternity. Is that too much to ask? Uh, that's what we're asking the Lord for. Just to call it daily is an understatement, the daily bread. It's actually every second, forever. And the Lord says, I would love to. Thank you, friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to serve you, to do your commandments, is to do your will, bit by bit by bit to get to know you, the things that you love, the things that you care about, how you want us to care for our neighbor, how you want us to grow, how you forgive our problems of the past and just are excited to see our development moving forward, getting better and better each day working to serve you in all these different ways. We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the clarity about what it is that you would have us do. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting as part of our daily bread. <laughs>